things just ain't the same for gangsters Quotas is changing, increments raising New major teams, new names and faces Pete Jansen's had another hip replacement But the strangest things can happen with passion When you stop gapping the way that you have it Start replacing, excuses with action Pretty soon you know your book like Hey, this is Justin Jackson, director of Global Accounts for Phenom People And you're listening to The Sassholes Welcome again to the Sassholes, the show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. Jamie Carney, Jason Ferrara, neither one or both here, and myself, Pete Jansons, have a combined 100 years of making mistakes and are more than happy to share them with you. Please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Today, we are joined with very special guest, Justin Jackson, Director of Global Accounts at Phenom People. But we, before we get to Justin, we got an ad. This episode is brought to you by NeuroNoodle. Get a doodle of your noodle, a brain map, and find out why you have panic attacks. Visit NeuroNoodle.com. Hey, uh, Jackson, you ready for a joke? Yep, I am, Pete. All right. What does a thesaurus eat for breakfast? Oh, this is tough. I don't know. What does a thesaurus eat for breakfast? A synonym roll. Leave us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net. Oh, look at this, Carney. He missed a joke. So we got some shout outs here, Jackson. What up, guys? I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. We, we're we're midway through the show, man. We're on the shout-outs now. Matt Delaney, two years at Cameo. How's about that? Well done. I think uh, his sisters are at Salesforce or something. Can't believe it. I guess they know sales in that family, huh? Mike Tripodi, director of sales at Gloat. What's Gloat? All right. Yeah, yep. Someone gets very happy and just they just boast about themselves. Okay. And then we got Brent Groob, one year at Spins. Way to yeah. go, Gruber. Spins, good stuff. Good peeps. He's also doing his second 60-day challenge of some crazy uh, challenge going on. Challenge like? And meets new people and does all this uh, uh, like sort of a CrossFit type of exercise every single day. Challenging like Wi-Fi, earning <laughs> Wi-Fi challenge. Wi-Fi should be better, is it not? Uh, yeah, it's it's about average. All right, so you missed a joke, Carney. It was pretty good. I'm so sorry. I was stuck on a call. Where's Jason? Oh, uh, news. Uh, jobs? Anything? Any, anybody got We're up seven hundred seventy-seven thousand? Unemployment's getting worse. Is that really news? More job loss. It's not news. It's the same status quo. You got my, uh, let's see. Can you see that? Did you get your vaccine shot? There it is. Second one. Oops. All right. You can go out and lick some polls. No, nah, two weeks. Two weeks from yesterday. Community uh, be built up. I know last time on the podcast, I talked about Dave Portnoy. I don't know if you saw, but um, in Chicago, while giving a review on the south side of Chicago at the Art of Pizza, a carjacking went on while he was given the car, uh, the review. The carjacking not only uh, took place, they also hit the cop car that was parked in front of the car. What? That is pretty brazen. 
to take yeah. during the middle of the day with a cop car right there. And the cop car got hit, and then they didn't chase it. <laughs> it was in Chicago, so I mean, you know, it was in Chicago. And and Portnoy did not drop the pizza. He uh, did he, not drop the pizza. He was sort of. It was funny. He was getting harassed by some guy uh, who brought him a chicken sandwich from McDonald's. Um, His girlfriend's chicken sandwich. Yes. So we got Justin Jackson from Phenom People. What is Phenom People, Justin Jackson? Yeah, Phenom People is really creating its own own market, own own corner, really, with this talent experience platform. So, so not. I think it started, and, and probably a lot of people might know, ten years ago, as it being more of a career site and, and kind of this front end. But this uh, the platform really extends to to for employees and, and recruiters and managers. Uh, beyond just, you know, someone applying and, and, you know, a career site that will, you know, quickly get them into an application. So it's its, its own market. It's, and really, that's thats the way you got to be if you really want to do do well and be successful. You know, you want to be the Kleenex, you know, you want to be define, defining the market. And I think that Phenom is with this platform uh, and with the experience in general. Well, so how does that differ? Like, an ATS versus Phenom people. Is it a, a different variation of an ATS? ATS is where we stop. So we integrate with all major ATSs and, and you know, you are all the way up until like an offer and are hired. That that's, that's where um, it's going to stop on that front end. Now you think about employees and I mentioned the employee experience, all of the, you know, your employees are looking to, to get promoted. They're searching internally for jobs. They're, you know, you, you, then you have management looking at succession planning and career pathing. And so that same cycle can come right back in. And so ATS is going to do all the you know, recreation and, and, uh, and, you know, uh, signaling to post a job to your career site, handle all the paperwork there with background checks and all your forms and everything. And that's where, you know, we would stop before then. So, just so people know that are listening, ATS stands for Applicant Tracking System. It's usually what's used for people to manage candidate flow. You guys would live on top to help the candidate experience um, until they get into, is this like before they become an applicant, right? If you're saying you, you stop and hand it over to the ATS? Yeah, so you'd have a have a career site that that is integrated there that you know, things that happen though, stages that candidates are in, whether they're, they're a lead or they're um, being uh, reviewed or interviewed in certain jobs, all that stuff could be fed back and be read in, read by the ATS of like, Hey, here's what's going on in Phenom. And same way, vice versa. If there's somebody that came in through a different path in ATS, you know, you could tell Phenom and so we have all the right information anywhere recruiter was at, but yeah, we're going to let that be the record of, 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 source uh their their primary record holder would be their ats and that's where they could store everybody in the end it's just a mammoth beast i don't think i don't know if phenom's ever going to get into that i think that's you know that's why we just partner with workday and success factors and those big players we've got a quite of a few buddies over at phenom who's all over there that we yeah. know they're fans of the show these you probably know uh so i i work for ted Strauss, who who was oh, yeah, all together uh, for a long time, and I was I was saying Pete right before we started, and uh, Ted, someone I'd known for a long time, but I never got to work directly for him, and I've been it's been awesome 
he's just like, uh, you, you, everyone's had managers that you don't want to bring on calls with you. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and bring, but Ted's like the opposite. I want to get him on as many because it's like even the best relationships and best things I have going, he'll always ask a question that just is uh, opens up uh, one of our, our customers to, to just something new opportunity, new, new thing to explore, a new way we can help. Let's see though. Eric Offner, he runs sales. Yep. Uh, obviously super smart guy. He's really the reason I'm at Phenom. I was a, uh, in a good word for me that that became a, a referral and got me he started the there a long time ago right yeah he, he's I'm been since the beginning i believe 2010 around there ish is he's been a part of it um let's see though who who else uh mark bill Finice. malik bill malik just joined uh but mark finice so oh yeah finice you know him and i were That's nice Closely, closely started together. They're working for you, Jamie, for back in 2007. Let's, let's be honest, working for the best boss out of the people on this assholes. Yeah, that's our, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm going for very, <laughs> I'm the tallest midget here, right? I don't know if you could say that in this cancel culture, but um, you, out of the two people on this call, I was better than you. Better. You are always good at the limbo contest. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, and uh, Justin was there when we opted out of the economy. Yeah, so better to George Bush and saying, I, "I'm opting out of this recession." We're up. Solo gig is opting out of the uh, the economy. I, I don't ever think I got my T-shirt, but I did. I did use. Did that. you not? I had T-shirts made. I still I remember had, if I, I did. Down with the economy was the tagline. I did use that phrase though. So you know, I've I've had this strange career uh strange you know accolades of being like uh someone who creates rap songs about about the office and um you know one of my well one of my kind of uh, counterparts to that cohorts was is also at phenom patrick kent which you guys had on oh, yeah. the show a few weeks oh, ago patrick kent we've done a lot of music together and um one of the songs that i don't know if he was part of this one but one that i had made a previously about the economy i referenced that you know you should you know opt out of the opt out of the recession um mm-hmm. and i i was thought that was pretty catchy i'm not sure if you ever read that we ever got a response to our letter was that, we was never that did get a response but we did so no it was it was george bush because it was during uh, oh, that's right yeah the recession in 2008 2009 and then we opted out and said we're not participating in this recession and then I made shirts called I'm not down with the economy and then you would get recession buster awards. Yeah. That, and that was before I think how'd that work out. <laughs> it was great. We disbanded that team a year later. <laughs> <laughs> but it, all of those guys, out. the guys we kept, Justin went on for, you know, he was one of the guys we uh, kept Chris Salzman, cash salesman um, went on to a lot of success at, uh, at Cribbler, uh, Ar- Justin's wife. I was to say, arguably, Cassie. one is not doing as well. Cassie uh, <laughs> married down. Yeah, uh, she married down, and, and <laughs> somehow Justin sold her on a bag of goods. Yeah, th- I did get some good sales skills there. Yeah, that helped me out. <laughs> She's doing great, yeah. but uh, she she went on and uh, had a good stint for after that at Salesforce and at LinkedIn. So yeah, uh, nice yeah. little. Uh, springboard there from from the time it's nice was on that team yeah so so that i think that you know that's just a 
just a couple. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember like Lindsay Cuff, Lindsay Moreau. She's also like a director of solution consulting, also super, super suave, has a not really great talk track around AI and, and, and really has a great understanding of it, I think for customers. And it's been, uh, it's not entirely a reunion. And I think Ted's trying to make sure he doesn't hire, you know, too many people he previously worked with, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's stuff though. It's a, you know, you are in a place where we've kind of been with controlling chaos where we're growing super fast. There's a lot of solutions. Um, you know, some you're, you're presenting and, and, you know, you're creating on the fly. They're not, even on, they're, on, they're not on a rate card or anything. They're kind of just like, um, and that's the kind of, kind of place that I was in when I, I worked with you guys was places where we, I knew about things coming out before they were out. And I was already talking to them about with customers. And <clears throat> I think that helps you become a good leader too. If you're used to that ambiguity, I think Ted Strauss is, is a good example of that. I think, you know, a lot of stuff thrown at them where we don't really know how it's going to land. We were like, Here's well, a question no. with what you just said there, Justin. Rate card. Are you a fan of publishing the rate card to, uh, to customers or not? Yeah, I would say I'm, I'm not. I think I'm, I think I'm a good, I think I'm a fan of publishing capabilities um, and having that, those leave behinds. You know, we definitely have some slides like that to have like everything on it. And I think it's not necessarily, you know, a good tactic to kind of lead with that. But if you're having discussion, you just never, if you can make something easy enough to share and socialize internally. It's I've, I've, I've had lots of experience where something's been easily socialized where else, you know, I had a call this morning with, with folks at Dow Jones that I had not interacted with prior, but because they kind of got a hint about some other things that we do, they're like, they want to be a part of it too. So, you know, it's a combination if you, you can kind of publicize all the things you do, but none of, none of it had like price tags on it because I do <laughs> actually more of a fan of, you know, making deals, you know, especially considering just depending on what's going on, where they're at in budgeting, if you need to play around with uh, billing and things like that, I think all those things should be at your disposal because if you really want to get deals done quick, then you know, you got to work with the customer and if they don't have budgets open until June because uh, July is their new year, but you want to get the deal done today. Well, then you should have the flexibility to kind of play around with that. Um, so the only problem with that is what we experienced at was we did not publish a rate card forever. And in the process, we had reps that were selling the, you know, the same solution to the same type of customer and some were selling it for 10x what another customer would be paying for. And uh, over time, it becomes a problem. So if you're not going to publish rate card, I personally would advise you have to have more uh, guidelines and a deal desk to make sure that even though you might have a great relationship and you could sell the same product for 200000 to one client, um, but you're only selling it really for about 20000 that you you sort of pull those or ratchet that back and make sure that they sell the value that the company can deliver. If that's truly the, co the company's delivering $200,000 worth of value across the board, then sell it. Yeah, true. They, well, a couple of, a couple of ways around that too, is just like, you know, don't have just one or two products. I mean, when you have, yeah. you have as many uh, in a switch suite and you can kind of have things massaged in, then you, where's the value at just depends on the customer's, beauty is in the eye of the, the or the wallet of the, of the 
the customer, right? So they they can tell you where the value's at there. And if it's spread around, then then it's a different package. But I totally agree. I mean, there are staffing customers here that I work with, and I know they all talk. I, I've just addressed that head on. You know, when I've talked to certain major staffing companies that I know talk to other staffing companies based on my experience, I just call it out. And it could be to your or advantage. Attrition. What's that? Or attrition. One guy... Yeah. Was working with you at another company. They go to another company and say, "Wait a second, you're paying 10 x what I was paying." Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think you're referring to though, like you know, previously we've seen where customers will post their contract on on a in, internal on a message board or something, and other mm-hmm. staffing organizations see it. That was yeah. Those lessons I, I heard. Luckily, I never knock on wood have had the brunt of something like that. But it, but if you try to just keep it above board from the beginning and to know that they're going, but that takes a little bit of previous experience to have that. I, th- I, I think I, though it all depends. Oh, go ahead. See, the other way to avoid the, avoid that is like, if you price by employee size, you try to at least stay in those guidelines. You have a little bit of leeway there because if somebody's price changes or seems different uh, when they look back, it's like, well, yeah, they were priced at a time when they were only 2000 employees or they were only 5,000 employees. And so that can a little bit uh, be a CYA for you. Agreed. As long as there's a formula on how you did it. I think that was the biggest problem we had. It was, there was no formula. It was how much can I shake out of this customer versus, Oh, I can't shake much out of this customer. I'm still giving it away for nothing because $1 is better than no dollars. And then the other problem we had was when you become a more mature company, I heard what you said on the products as long as you have more products, but after a certain point, you have so many products that you want to simplify the sales process. And then what most companies do is they, they put a one behind their name. Yeah. 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 And, <laughs> and uh, we sold all the solutions together. And when you do that, what happens is you can't argue, well, you're only getting some of the solutions and not all the solutions. And that's why you're paying 50% less than what that person is paying or, and vice versa. That's why you're paying 50% more. When you get to a more mature company where you have too many products, that is going to bite you in the ass. As long as you, I think I agree with you, as long as there's a formula, but that formula has to be, has to be communicated across all sales chains. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I haven't seen too much disparity there in cross pricing yet, although it'd be, you know, kind of where we're going with our roadmap. I think there'll be more, well, we're doing a lot more to supercharge self-service because right now I'd say there's price disparity in terms of there's a client we do a lot for that pays the same as a client we don't do as much for. And they both have big packages. One has a really great internal team that is um, taking care of things that, the other one is kicking to, to us to ask for, for help. So we're trying to empower that, I think, by just making it more, yeah, self-service. We call, been calling it, I think, supercharging self-service. I think is a lot of the roadmap updates that will come and just allow clients to do things that on their own. Some want to. I mean, some really want to make updates and stuff, things like that. When you have like a career site, you have branding, you have a lot of different departments with their hand in the in the jar, like that, you know, you have marketing involved and, and recruitment marketing, and then um, that's beside your talent acquisition, your recruiting, your employee engagement team, your employee branding team. These all, all that could be six different people that that are um, asking of things to or up, making updates to your career site, and so. Yeah, 
What I've noticed though at companies like Phenom, and we had it also at Beep, but is the service component, right? Like, hey, we will provide all of these services to you as part of being part of the Phenom customer, right? And what ends up happening is some companies take advantage of that and some companies don't need it. Um, but in reality, if you look at, you know, the question is the hours you're committing to one client might mean you're not actually making any money off that one client, but it's because all these other clients aren't using your services. They're actually paying for your services at one client because five clients aren't using it. And so that is a service component that when you look at a deal by deal, you should almost take a bigger look and say, hey, we need to cap our services and our, our, that we're providing to each customer that you get up to so many hours um, because when it gets down to it, if everyone starts using the services that you provide, you could be losing a ton of money and need to hire a ton more. So you almost need to cap that or potentially fire a client. I know that sucks for a sales rep, but personally, I think there are some clients that just put so much on a client, a company, especially a smaller company like Phenom. And I'm not saying it's small. It's what, like 300, 400 employees. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, just, you can't, they can't, they can't work with uh, uh, an allegiance who wants all this handholding, you know, and I don't know if they still do, but they might need all this handholding and they're so huge in the number two or number one staffing company in the world uh, that could blow up a company like Phenom people. So something yeah. else to think about. Yeah. We, yeah. We've had a lot of um, rollout. I was a part of a conversation yesterday, rolling out just like the way to request um, change, make change requests or customizations the way that they go about it. We are trying to group them into like one project. If we can, if there's multiple in a week or two, can we do this as one monthly project? And uh, yeah, I think the initial way versus like before we used to fire off an email to support. And then we would like make this its own ticket. Now we're trying to make this into like a project, like an SOW, if there's multiple things. Um, I think if you get a call, you get to explain it. Customer's been fine with it so far. I think they get it. And they also get to like where Phenom's at and they don't want to break them, break us either. They don't want to uh, overwhelm. Cause yeah, I mean the, I got here in November. I'm, I'm fairly new at Phenom, but the amount of customer, the, just in December and January, new customers that came in was, was so heavy that, you know, Ted, I, you know, my team alone is hiring like three people this month. So that's, that tells you something, you know, if, if account managers have 20, 25 accounts or so, <laughs> we'd hire three people just because of the result of the end of our fiscal year, the new, the new accounts are, are heavy. So yeah, there's going to be growing pains unless you hire quickly and yeah, have a plan, like a deal desk. We kind of, we do have that with sol our solution engineers team. Jackson, we got a lot of new leaders that listen to the show. You were a new leader once. Uh, if you go go back in time, can you remember when you're a new leader? And let's do some zero-based thinking. If you could go back in time, what would you do differently if you had a chance? Yeah, as a lead, well, the only thing is do differently, I guess, <laughs> in my life, probably like stocks and investments, maybe. Yeah, that's always like hindsight's 2020. In terms of- Get a different uh, boss. My experience uh, with, as, a, as a leader, I, I think- was good. It was unique though. My first team I ever managed as a frontline leader, I came in and I had never actually 
been in the position that those people were, uh, the team that I led, but I was, I was working with them in, in a, in a role that was ancillary, like a solution architect. I was the complex, more, uh, larger deals or just things that were outside of their core business that I was almost voted into, you know, they were asking me to be their, their leader. And I think, um, good first, good, uh, advice for a first year leader based on my experience is like the lead from the front. So I was on as many calls as I possibly could be selling with them. Um, so that I always earned their respect. It was never, you know, I never gave advice that I didn't do myself or didn't ever tell anyone that, uh, yeah. Or, you know, just tell them something that I wouldn't at least try myself. I too, I think, you know, I wouldn't actually take that advice. Now that doesn't always, that's not always going to work for you in every situation. Definitely. It's not going to work for you as you scale up too, because you can't, you won't be able to have large run teams of teams if you take that approach. But if you started that way and you get that reputation and you can treat your, can treat your leaders like that as they're leading their teams you can join them you can show them how to, how to do things. And, um, but again, like, yeah, never give advice that I wouldn't take myself or, or that I haven't can't prove and demonstrate has been successful. If you can do that. Um, I think that gets you so far though. I think that gets you maybe first, second, you know, it gets you second, third line leadership. Then there has to be some times where you have to, you're going to have to hire people. And I think I learned that more later in my career as a leader where I was managing, you know, groups, things outside the company, third parties to build us something or, or, or um, teams that were selling for us and things like that, that you really have to be able to direct them and give them a good plan, but you're not going to be able to handhold them along the way. And um, yeah, that was probably challenging, more challenging for me to, because I'm not that I was atypical that I need to, have complete control, but, um, my confidence came from, and I think the confidence I instilled in people that worked on my team came from, uh, my knowledge set and them trusting me that like I was, I was supporting them. Like we, they were going to fail. Like we I was going to fail with them. Like it was going to be, we were both going to go down and they were, you know, you guys both know from working, having me work for you. I, I never came in and passed the blame on someone else. I always have taken, like my share. I mean, um, even any people we had to ever let go. Um, it's always the same, you know, you take the blame, but then, you know, if you promote someone, it's all them. So selfless lead from the front. Those are probably two main. Yeah. I'll be honest, you know, Justin, I, I Oh, some... you were being dishonest before Kearney. I was, I was Pete. I love your mustache. Now I'll be honest. Um, when Justin worked for me, and we were working on a new product and how do we sell that new product? I think I would come up with a new sales, you know, uh, line or how we're going to sell it probably once every other week. Cause we were trying to figure it out. I don't know if you yeah, know. Like that. promos and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like promos. Hey, maybe this will work. Maybe this price won't work. We were trying to figure it out. And when, you know, I don't know if you knew this or not, but you were the guy I sort of gauged the success or failure on that hook because, and, and I think as a new sales leader, you need to find the one or two on the team that are just gonna, that are just all in and are gonna do what you need them to do to test something out. And you were my, we had other guys on there that might be good at selling, but they were never following the script that maybe we were doing. Whereas you might bang out like 177 calls in a day following that script and then come back to me and go, that didn't work. You know what I mean? I'd be like, 
I trust you. Um, I trust what you're telling me because I hear everyone else saying their their script and it's nowhere close. Uh, Cash Salesman, for example, impersonating uh, Anika Montoya and leaving voice messages. Um, I never trusted what he would say. I just knew he could sell. Um, yeah. They, well, yeah, I appreciate that. that. I know I've listened to, I think every episode I've heard of you guys and I, a couple back and we were talking about dialing and, and the number of calls people really made. And I was thinking, I, I, I know I made legit hundred dial days um, where, you know, mm-hmm. they were, and I kept good track. I mean, it's for their, for that product, especially when I was on your team, I had to, cause it was going to be feast, you know, famine, famine only. It was famine, famine or, only. Or maybe, or maybe, you know, I had to get something on the board. Um, well, Dude, well, I, don't know if, I don't know if you remember, but that site, when we were celebrating as a completely separate entity, I believe yeah. we had a week where the site just didn't work because we had an outside consulting firm and a week someone, you yeah, know, but the credit card worked. Skippy kicked out the uh, kicked the uh, cord and the site was down <laughs> yeah. for at least a week. But I'll tell you what you can take advantage of if you do that stuff. And like what I did, I remember when, yeah, there was a feature that we didn't have that was very basic. It was a really a must have and that is radius search <laughs> in a database. <laughs> it's uh, a must have. And I had, I still remember like the list I had right at my desk of, I think there was like 12, 10 or 12 that had said that once we had that, that they were in. And I remember when you said it's, it's ready, it's working. And I was like, for sure. How many, have we tested enough of trying to test it, trying to break it. And I was like, all right. And then I called and, and like six, six of the 10, I think came through with, they were all like small, you know, little tests and, mm-hmm. but there was definitely you know definitely more than uh more than half that came through and, and some people were laughing at me they're like holy cow and you can call me up you remember that i did say that yeah i guess it's working now or let's see it again and that can help you so all those hundred dials with calls you make and especially if you don't if you try to find out what what would it take then to get you and then just try to remember and then hopefully you can come through on that but i would keep those lists like all right these guys were like if we had this you know, they would do, they would sign on. So then when those things would happen, if they would ever happen, I'd try to go back. That actually helped me even later because as I went and led those other groups, a lot of those accounts, there were a lot of crossovers that I had in Pete's world later on when I was working for him. And you find like, people are like, Justin Jackson, I remember you. <laughs> I call them yeah. so many times and they would be working like, oh yeah. And now you're the leader of this group. I'm like, yeah. And I think I remember, you know, you somehow pull something too. We remember about them and uh, it would go far. Same with like when you have a lot of turnover with with your reps and, and good turnover is what we had with Pete. Like we were promoting people like oh crazy. I mean, p- contrary to popular belief, when I worked with Pete, we did not fire people. There were very few. Like they, they, they very, fired us. We'd find ways to we we get them back on track. Our plans were very good. Um, I always well, would you not fire them or would they quit? I mean, I think. I, t- I tell you, here's people, a, once you get put on a pip, you're going to quit. Right? Here, here's a spoiler for everyone listening. Pete's a lot. Pete's a lot more sensitive guy. Than I think people, maybe people realize. Sure, I remember sure. times I've actually wanted to fire people and Pete talked me out of it and told me like, I could make a better plan to keep this guy and get him back on track. And I always appreciate that. I would write plans for people that would have half of it would be what I was going to do for them. So that, and then it just goes back to what I said before about leading from the front and building trust. We, we just make it, I make it like a, my own success or failure. If this person did quit, it was on me. 
Now there's some where it was impossible, like very, very few luckily, but where I remember one time Pete was like, is he a good guy? And I was like, Pete, he's got to go. <laughs> he's got to go today. Yeah. Like, and uh, those are, those are rare and like, uh, but we promote. Well, it's because so you lose trust with them or they're just detriment to the team. Yeah. Just something changes with them. They were time, whoever, you know, we hired them. We made it, made a, a decision. They were good interviewers. We were hiring so fast. You make mistakes. I think that's probably the. Well, I mean, I would say Pete's world, you fired them because uh, they were detriments to the team. They weren't active, even though you were asking them to be active. They just weren't. They, they gave up or a Christmas party or a holiday party. <laughs> uh, that's uh, yeah. That's the bus ride home from, uh, from Wisconsin. Del- uh, you know, the Dells are uh, yeah. <laughs> That's, I, here, yeah. here, let's make it simple for the new leaders out there. You got the four, the four duties of a leader, right? You got to transfer your skills. You got to yeah. develop your people. You got to mm-hmm. keep productive headcount, and you got to follow through. Yeah. If yeah. wherever you're at, if you can follow, stick to those four things, guys. When you're and warn them not to goof around on company events too much. Well, yeah, those would be the ones that the directors would find out, kind of. I remember being with, forget who's who it was, and I don't think it wasn't in my group. But they're like, they're like, oh, he's gone. The director, even, the Pete, found out about that, and that guy's already gone. They're on their way home, and they're like, oh, okay, I guess I'll be hiring somebody now when I get back from this trip. Um, but yeah. I, so, but going back to, well, I mentioned that with the turnover and and talking to all these clients a lot, or calling all of them. Um, you know, something Pete made us do is call call all these a lot of our clients, and that was super helpful because even one call to an angry client, uh, just do so much. If you could, you know, I'd say like, I'm, you know, I'm this leader here. I've been here for this amount of time. And, and also just telling them the reps are going to turn over. It is mostly good turnover. We are, I am, my job is, is the double A's, triple A's, you know, I'm supposed to get people up to the next level. So yeah, you're going to get a new rep again. Um, but like, I've been here for a long time here. And I'd be like, here's my boss's contact, et cetera, et cetera. And that would go so far because it just, no one ever told them that. You know, no one ever said like, or we just didn't do a good job of when we would, when, Hey, Bobby's leaving. Bobby wasn't saying, Oh, by the way, I'm getting promoted because did such a good job work because of you as a customer. <laughs> we just were like, see ya. Now here's Billy here, you know? So that, that I, I think helped a lot for that business and well, tech services. Anytime we had a new customer, didn't we, uh, I think I sent him a letter giving, you know, thanking for their business and made sure they had my contact information Cause you're right. It was so crazy. You guys would leave. They didn't know who their rep was and we weren't good on communication. They had to have somebody's contact information. Yeah. And it could go, go really far. I mean, I, I had a CHRO that I haven't worked with in a few years <laughs> called me two yesterday or two days ago, just asked me advice on something completely outside of what I'm doing. So I think that's a good testament. And this person I text with, you know, talk sports with stuff time, time, but the fact that he calls me, nothing to do with anything I'm selling or anything, just ask for advice. Like it's because of, you know, having good practices there where just constantly tell them. And yeah, I've probably given that guy more bad news than good news over the years too. Um, but like, I guess he just trusts, <laughs> he's going to call me if I tell him, yeah, what you're looking at stinks or, or if it's good, he's going to trust it. And uh, gave him my two cents. I don't know how far I went, but I think he was like, you know, thanks. At least he, he checked the box. Like he did his research. So sports uh, Jackson, Weren't you like a runner or something? Runner in college at Loyola, right? Loyola, 
and hey, now they're good basketball school. So that's cool. I wish I would have been there when they were playing this well at basketball. I did. I ran. I ran. Right. Aren't they the Wolf Pack? The Wolf Pack. Yeah. Lou Wolf. Um, <clears throat> the Rambler, original Rambler uh, mascot was like a, like a, like a hobo, an old school with the, with the stick and the, and the handkerchief. That was like the, I third. went to the first game that they announced their new mascot, the Wolf. I don't know why my father brought me there, but I was there at that game. It was a Marquette game, Marquette Loyal? No, I don't know. We were there and they announced the Wolf and I was like, wow, there's no one here in the stands. You know, it's sure funny it enough, Loyal, the Rambler. Or is that Marquette? Yeah, say they're playing. Uh, Marquette had a mascot. Uh, it was an Indian warrior. And then when I was there, we changed our names to the Golden Eagle. And then I felt my father felt really bad for the Golden Eagle because they brought out a mascot and he looked like the Chicken Hawk from those uh, <laughs> uh, uh, those Looney Tune cartoons. And he was not allowed to go near the student section because we we were in a pro stadium, so we were drinking beer. We would throw beer cups at him and all of that other stuff. We, we hated him. So he would get on the floor and we'd yell chicken hawk and, you know, all these other songs, you know, they'd, they'd say, go MU. And we'd always be like, point at him and say, F you, you know, that was like the chance. Cause we couldn't stand the fact that we changed our name. Yeah. That's well, well it was Milwaukee. Hey, there's, yeah. there's some great commercials out there about Marquette basketball. Marquette Nation. So new leaders, Jackson. What else can you give some advice to them, to our listeners? Yeah, well, I think new leaders, I, I, I led a lot of new leaders too when a couple of different times um, my career, definitely the, the last few years at a previous organization where people were fairly new or, or brand new as leaders. And, you know, I always tried to, to empower them and treat them like I was like the point guard on the team, because especially when, you know, yeah, in the director role, I think, especially too, nearly if you have, you're leading teams of the of teams, like you really have to, you're playing a lot of operation stuff, especially with teams that are, that are promoting people fast do a lot of hiring. And, and in my case too, we had a lot of accounts, we had 4,000 accounts. And uh, I think, you know, anywhere from 40 to 60, people that were managing them. So there's just so much movement that I really had to empower these managers to like make the decisions. Cause like if they needed me for every little thing, it is just going to be, I, I was just moving so fast. And I think that that helped. I think there's some great, great guys. I was real lucky too. I got a lot of managers from Pete. <laughs> so well trained, they were well trained. Um, but uh, our boy, Andrew, uh, he's doing well now at Zoom. A lot of those guys are actually at Zoom, I think, now. So they, they've made good choices, too, afterwards. Got a company that probably making a lot of money at. Um, the, yeah, the key there was, that, yeah, the transfer, transferring skills as a manager can go both ways, not just you know, from, from yourself, manager to a rep, but manager to manager as well. Just explaining how, how I would do it and, you know, what you know with us you know you measured us a lot pete did on uh keeping you know profitable making profitable decisions well when we had all these factors that came into the equation like accounts and, and things like that we you know we would have to balance a lot of things and profitability you know when you have to have so many accounts you have to really take another layer deep and look at like when did these accounts renew or like we were talking about earlier how much service do they need how much uh and so 
their transfer knowledge not only was like transferring to their teams to sell, but they, we needed, you know, you needed their knowledge previously of that, of those accounts. Um, because uh, that's super helpful. The same, we can come over to Phenom. There's, I'd say between Ted and I, um, you know, there, you know, uh, maybe 200 accounts there on our group, like there's 25% that we are, we knew, got, knew the contacts at, or maybe more. So I came into accounts where, you know, they knew me already and have worked with me before, or at least somebody there, a couple people there. Um, that could be super helpful. So you're, you know, I tried to transfer that type of knowledge to teams I had. The managers doing that for their teams, I think, is the only way that they kept, especially in groups that I ran where you had 4,000. It's the only way they kept really the wheels greased. Um, manager turnover is much more, uh, causes much more anxiety than rep turnover is trying to find the next leader to lead 10 people. Um, yeah, you spend a lot more time. Now, what I would do is try is, is put people in positions prior that they could be, you know, practicing um, being a manager, doing, having meetings with us, joining our manager meetings. And I know you did a lot of that too, but um, great examples of people that uh, my peers, other directors told me not to hire someone as manager. And I said, well, you're not looking at them the same. Like you're measuring them as a rep that you know from, from, from XYZ days but they've been doing all these things and, and now almost to not give them a shot at this when they did everything that I've asked. And I really confident that they're going to do great. And their team already basically is, is voting them in, you know, that's another nice to have. You make it known, you hold yourself accountable. Like you're on this team and you want to lead it. And if your peers on that team are like, they want you to be the leader. I mean, the job, you know, <laughs> if, for me, not to choose that, that would be a bad decision. Um, Greatest example, uh, somebody that um, I had, and she she knows the stories, so she ever listens to this. People in my ear saying not to choose her as a manager. I was like, yeah, you're not looking at her the same. I've been working on stuff for like six months now. She should be awesome. I think the team wants her to lead him. Like they, she's already doing things for the team that they appreciate. She went on and was a manager of the year. So, you know, great thing. I, I take a little bit of credit for her only because it's one of those stories you like to stick back at people and say like, ah, see, it can, you, you don't have to be the number one rep. You could be, you know, I think you have to have some success. <laughs> if you have no success, that's not good, but uh-huh. Hey, look at Bill Felt. I don't think he was a good, a good sales rep and he was an average leader too. Yeah. <laughs> what, do, what do you think of uh, using uh, a council, a group of people to sort of give like a first taste of leadership before they go into leadership, you're a director and you got three or four managers and, means you got 30 or 40 sales reps having a, a rep be an advocate for each team and meeting with them once a week to hear what's going on. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that plays well into what I was saying earlier about the earning the respect and leading from the front. And if, if he there, if you can get, if you can convince someone to they, they want to go to you, this rep does wants to go to this council for advice and their and council is convincing them to, you know, how to maybe change their sale or how to approach a sale. And especially if it works, uh, essentially though, if they're, if they're able to influence them without it being, you know, versus the, uh, versus a manager where you're doing something maybe because just cause they control your paycheck, then, then when it comes time for a manager spot to be open and especially on that team, if you've been influenced in that team, that's the position I was in. I was selling with, with teams already starting to know their accounts, knew the contacts there had maybe previously sold to those contacts. 
the reps trusted me that, that I, because we had proven history and then a manager spot comes open. It's just a no brainer. Like, um, they want me there cause they've, they trust, they, they would listen to me before I was their manager that they like had to quote unquote, you know, the, the, uh, and the council is a great place to do that. Cause you, you really can also too council sounds like more than one. Then you also, for, as a leader, you get to kind of have a nice array. It's not just one person says they want it. And now you kind of have to give it to them. You know, I would have two or three people running and um, someone's got to get second, but tell them up front, you know, it's always about who you're up against. You could, but yeah, leader pool. Great idea. I mean, Hey, look how much that was done to us. And, you know, we were just the people being plucked in their first six months, you know, that you're, you have them as a sales rep, they're getting pulled up from, from another team to go beyond uh, an enterprise or field team. It's nice to have a pool of people. They like the enterprise field did, they could look at, you know, uh, inside sales group, having a manager pool like that, super beneficial. You know, one thing I was always impressed with Pete, I'm going to give you a compliment and I am being honest. Oh, I'll step away. Yeah. Was whenever you went to Pete's floor, you would see all these little trophies, right? And when you look at all those little trophies, those were all the people that were promoted because his job was to train them and promote them. And every time someone got promoted, Pete, out of your own pocket, would buy a little trophy. Am I correct? Or did you have the company pay for him? I don't know. It was out of my own pocket, but then I asked to be reimbursed. Yeah, um, but it was ridiculous. There was a ton of them. And to me, that sort of bred what it sort of showed and it's a symbol of what was important to Pete, which was promoting people, making sure these kids that come off the street that have no idea how to sell, he taught them and gave them the skills to sell. And then they moved on. I mean, I think it was a shame when at the end after uh, got bought that you were requested to take all of those trophies down because it inhibited the culture. And I'm in fact, that's the culture we want. That's what we should embrace is the amount of people that you promoted. And, it, you know, I think they tried to say, you're stuck in the past. And it's like, no, he's not. He's focused on the people. And there, there's always a shortcoming here. Is the company should be loyal to the people. And, and, and it, that was a symbol that I always thought was cool. You got a, you got a coach that comes in, they want their own stuff. You know, leave it at that. Yeah. What else, what else we got, guys? We're running up on time. Yeah, I apologize, first of all, for being uh, uh, a bullshit. Yeah, the best stuff was at the beginning. <laughs> Just kidding. So I'll say one thing. When I interviewed with Pete for a first manager job, it was to work for a director under Pete. But I, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I said, I, I'd like, like, Pete, I'm not going just for this job. I'm going to go. For, I'm going for that director job. So I'm going to be back here. I'm like, I'm going to be one of these trophies. And he's like, we're not making those trophies anymore or something to that effect. <laughs> I said, well, like, I, you know, you know what I mean, basically. Yeah. He tried to talk me out of it. I think I remember when I was still, when I was trying to kind of start to lobby for a job with him, I came down to his office one time and said something dumb or something. He goes, Hey Jackson, don't ever come back here again. <laughs> so I came back to my manager at the time who, who kind of I think encouraged me to go out. It's like, he's like, yeah, start talking to Pete, man. So you can get this job. And and uh, I went back to him afterwards and I said, Hey man, he told me not to come back here. He's like, Oh, I'm sure it's fine. I'm like, no, literally he, Pete said, do not come back to my office. anymore." <laughs> I, I think he was pretty serious. He's like, Oh, it'll be fine. But it, but it was really, it was really gratifying, uh, satisfying that like to come back when I was interviewing then for the next level, I said like, Pete, I told you I was going to be here. I told you this would happen. 
said I was coming. I wanted to get to become a trophy. I wanted to work directly for you. And now I'm here. And, you know, and I think he told me, as he remembered probably then he told me to shut up or something, but like, uh, it was fun because it, that room was awesome. Like you just, not only the whole floor, but Pete's office in particular, um, those just the long line of trophies, you know, next to his, uh, fan running on solar power next to whatever <laughs> is other <laughs> people that he's got called, to know. he called he called the fan the cone of silence because the walls were thin he'd turn it way up and be like okay now we can talk see i think pete pete from afar even probably people listen to this podcast they they might think that he's like uh he's like this 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 guy in a mountain or just this kind of this uh this this giant but he you get to know pete uh, he's a he's super sensitive guy he's yeah, very he technical uh, very he reads like crazy it's a yeah. one thing i could also recommend for leaders like pete made us read books that, like in a uh an amazing rate uh and it was super helpful because some of those books i recommend today still um and i know anybody who works for pete as leader will recommend managed by influence for example but th- those things and you get to know him you're like man he's way different uh up close and, and this is the reason for success because he would get down in the weeds with you uh you know no specifics about one rep and you have to come prepared to know why someone didn't have they only had four sets on monday or something and so it was uh it was fun though because you knew they cared a, a lot about it and yeah i never knew what kind of gadget was going to be in there uh, i definitely knew there'd be a diet coke in there that's for sure that's probably like consistent with his office amen anything else carney you know what? What would be interesting is, yeah, in your experience before you started at Cribbler was what improv, right? And and were you working anywhere else? It's like that's Peter right. Pan. Like Peter Pan, I was like, yeah, doing. I just like didn't grow up. I was trying to be a runner, and then I was trying to be a uh, performer. Oh, I was performing at Second City and Improv Olympic. Yeah, not really. I got real lucky. I, I think when you called me back, Jamie, I still remember I said something like, "Did you guys ask me to come back to see if I had a second suit?" something like that and probably probably should have gotten thrown out then got super lucky i always felt lucky that i got hired um but no i i had one sales job where i was doing um i was converting uh student loans i worked for fifth third bank like some little offshoot of that where we're calling in for student loans around the time people were trying to lock in like four and a half percent i think for for to the their interest rate but i did that for few months only and i just did it felt kind of sleazy it kind of felt weird kind of felt sleazy asking for social security numbers and i was like i just don't really want this and completely yeah was working doing shows and making like money at working at a bar afterwards something and basically super lucky that i think because loyola probably got me on there loyola my resume and being a runner and probably just making you guys laugh or something in the interview is probably what got me there but yeah that felt lucky there getting to the starting with you because I was in an interesting place where I, I got to meet Pete early on, which I don't know if, it, you know, I got interactions with him. I got inter- interactions with would bring Pete people. in a lot. To the- um, and well, he, they didn't know me maybe at the time, but I got, I felt like close to the top because you guys were working on side projects and you guys were close to, you know, I was got to, I got to see C levels all the time. And I mean, probably empowered me to think like, oh, I can really do something here. And it only took a short amount of time before I was, basically all, all in, you know, working yeah, it was, it's, it's funny. So I would say this is, it's not your resume. It's your interview, right? Like I, I, I'm just saying like you had no experience during your interview process. I still remember it. You were engaging, talkative. And, and so don't get hung up on 
you know, oh, am I good enough for the sales job? If you're, if you're thinking about getting into sales and you want to learn it, you don't need to have sales experience to get in if you find the right, find the right place. You just have to have the desire and the engagement. I mean, because we hired two people at a time. And I remember when we hired you, the other guy, I won't say his name, but he wasn't very engaging. But what got him in was he is a University of Chicago graduate. And so my counterpart was oh, like, yeah. he's yeah. brilliant. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that did not work out well. Um, yeah. I, you recall, it was kind br- of a- br- Brilliant people have clean hands. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. I, I the think funny thing is, he, I believe he worked at a bike shop and he went back to work at a bike shop. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's ironic. I stand yeah, corrected. Sometimes the brilliant yeah. people uh, just don't have much uh, desire. I, yeah, I think like if people, I never felt like the job was painted with rainbows and flowers. And I got in there, I think you guys, I listened to what you and Ben said about that, where we were at, how it was coming off the ground, like uh, the potential and everything. We were always though, like, hey, we have this 800 pound gorilla behind us. We're trying to do this thing on our own, lean on them limited, but it's going to be hard and it's going to be like start from the bottom. So, I kind of knew that. I guess I didn't expect anything that was like, this is, this should be easy. Um, and then I also just kind of, uh, I was hungry to like be the numb. I, it was in sight that I could be like, I could sell the biggest deals and stuff. So that also kind of helped me. Nobody on my team thought I was cool. I mean, Cassie will still tell stories about how they wouldn't even invite me to go to lunch stuff. Cause there I was such a dork that all I want to do is I was just dialing all through lunch and stuff. And I was like, yeah, but I was better than you guys. So <laughs> yeah, you were the best. I mean, I'm not going to lie. You were the best. Um, I mean, there were other guys that were sweet talkers and stuff like that, that could get a deal in, but you were the one who got the most deals in. And I think you were top the leaderboard in every step. That yeah. We, we would have to go look up what offer we gave them though, that you were right about the promos all the time, because I would forget. I'm like, what did it, what was the thing? I was like, we had the 15 for 15. We had all these weird like yeah. things. And I'd be going back and like, what did I tell this guy? What it does guys, here's another thing. Yeah, and, and Justin, you can attest to it. When you're trying to sell an inferior product, because we were at the time you were trying to sell that, we had our own outside consulting firm that was doing the work. There was really, there was so many things. We were selling an inferior product. If you want to learn how to sell, sell an inferior product. Because when you have the cream of the crop, you're not, sometimes you're not learning how to sell. You're just giving them a menu and saying, what do you want? Uh, the demand's already been built there by marketing, by Super Bowl commercials, by all of this. And all you're doing is is getting up on the radar. When you're selling an inferior product that doesn't have the bells and whistles, has no marketing name, has no brand name, we weren't going in and we were told, we were telling you guys multiple times, don't use Bezier marketing engine. Yeah, that's very own. true. Because, you know, when Chris Salzman and I both kind of went over to the mothership with Pete, we were... I remember I can remember us kind of laughing and, and high-fiving almost about like it's so awesome to be able to sell things at this rate. Like I remember when the first, I can still remember the price point actually, the first deal that he signed. He was like, This was so easy. <laughs> it was, yeah. And it was like ninety five hundred dollars for the database for a year. And we're thinking, man, we were trying to sell, you know, it was so hard for us to get in five hundred dollars for and he was like, This is gonna be awesome, you know. Like, and and I was like, Yeah, it's really nice when you got like radius search <laughs> basic <laughs> and the site actually works when you go to it but it, and i think that i mean that's that's important too yeah becoming a leader because when people would be like uh you know or customers 
certain, you know, you could highlight the little things that maybe they, they just get got used to and took for granted. But like, if you just thought about, and, you know, I mentioned another guy, I was joking about him earlier before we started at this Donahue, but I worked for Donahue for six years. Brian Donahue is now uh, at, at Slack. Um, I love that guy. He, but tell you one person that could make like the most tiny little thing and genuinely be show you how amazing it is. Like he could literally sell up the pen thing, you know, just tell you how great it was. And, and it would be purely genuine was Donnie. Like, so if you, when you were telling stories and he, he's a great storyteller, like, just like, Hey, you can come in here and you can search and you can have, and the results can pop up and it's not just your city. It's going to be the surrounding areas. It's going to know that 25 miles out from here is Aurora and that's going to know that this person's the right person to pull into your, you know, you'd make it such a uh, big deal. And that's that little feature, um, you know, well, we know it's hard to have sometimes, uh, or at that point we did, he would make such a big deal. And I, I took that stuff, you know, definitely later on too, just to remind people like, you know, what we do, you know, like later on when I was selling a complex learning solution, I was like, just a reminder, like there's 3000 people here that have access to this, you know, like when you're selling to this organization mm-hmm. and, and on any given time in any given month, 40% of them are logging and taking a course. That's pretty cool. Right. You didn't have that two years ago, you know, yeah. you know, it's a good, it's a good reminder of all the things we have. We have a roof over our head, you know, that sometimes you got to stop. I don't think you do it all the time, but because you probably annoy your friends and family, but um, once in a while, it's good. My last question, and I know we got to go, we're over time. When you're a new leader and you're hiring, would you agree with this statement? Don't go and hire the people from the, the flagship mother load mothership. Go and find an inferior competitor and find either the, uh, the best or, or the, the people that are struggling because you know once you pluck them from that, it's gonna be the same situation. And so if you're a new hire, if you're a new leader, I would always say, go find the people that have inferior products and try to get them because they're going to know how to sell. They just don't have the product to sell it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we just validated that, back that up with what yeah. you talking about. But for sure, those are the people that I've recommended to, to Ted, my own team as well here, if I'm not hiring them directly, but recommended having them. I just recommended a guy um, that same, same thing. Like he's, this is inferior, but basically he, he doesn't have, he's not coming from this uh, super, you know, mega player out there. Cause they, those, those, in some cases, those folks come in with preconceived notion. They have this, they've been pampered in some ways with processes and other things like that, that they'd be expecting. Mm-hmm. And they'll let any of those things that aren't there be a hurdle and an obstacle that they, that a reason that they can't sell. AKA you come in, you had nothing yet. Yeah, excuse me. If you had no, none of that stuff, then you just are looking at the value in front of you. Like, wow, well, we can go in. And, and that's how I look, looking at Phenom, like there's so much in this platform to sell. So don't get hung up in all of the growing pains that Phenom has right now, where we're at 300 employees, you know, in this group and we probably need 350, you know, because of like things and, or we need, we need some better automation for like, getting a contract out. If you got to do a little bit of, of, uh, of work and, and sharpen your pencil, you, you know, your own self at the moment, I'm like, hey, that's going to change in like six months, man. We can put up with it for now. Like why have that stop you from having a, a meeting with, you know, Dow Jones or Chewy today, just because later on you got to do some paperwork. All right. I know we're enough. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. I'm glad. Thank you so much. 
Probably the biggest fan. Yeah. I've, I've been here since number one day. I challenge that to anyone else. And the rap song that I love. So Pete, when you're putting music on. Oh yeah, he he did a rap at the beginning. You want to close out a rap here, Jackson? How would you rap that? This is Justin Jackson busting back spins for anyone's asking. You're listening to the Sassholes. And we're all back. Oh, that's what we're using. All right. Welcome to the Sassholes. Welcome again. Welcome again to the Sassholes. The show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. Yeah, start choking. Oh, I actually got to wrap it. Yeah. Oh, I wrapped the beginning. Oh, I wrapped the beginning. I said, oh, I did the intro. So I said, Justin Jackson, busting backspins. His shirt and hat is matching. You listen to sassholes for anyone who's asking. Something like that. That's the facts, kid. Yeah, something like that. Off the top, it wasn't that bad. No, it was awesome. good. Now, do one close it out. That's the intro. Close out. Close it out. Uh, see. You're listening. Um, let's see. Uh, five stars. You're the corporate M&M. Uh, well, I, I I wanted to find. I don't know. I wanted to have you guys play that song with the is uh, the line reset down uh, recession. Let's see. I think that's something like there's like too few jobs, too many candidates. That's the epidemic that our country's handling. Create more jobs. We're skilling the Americans. Do it for the country. I'm fighting for the veterans. You might be thinking, how's little old me going to make a change in the GDP? Don't blame the economy. Opt out of the recession. We all make a difference. Don't ever second guess it. And I believe that's in the runner up song, isn't it? It's, some, it's in one of the songs, but that, that's the it's song in one of them. the outro with the better probably uh, delivery than that. All right, sassholes. Thanks for having me. All right, Cue man. the music. Cue. Cue the music. How about five stars on Apple Podcasts, Carney? Yeah, five stars, please. 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 And subscribe to us today. Please. All right. All right. Bye, guys. Cue the music. All right. Thanks, guys. Peace.